Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see everyone today. Wow, we have a lot of people today. <laughs> I'm Wendy. For those of you um, who I haven't met before, I'm a student of the Dharma. As always, Casey and I welcome you with gratitude, with love, with respect. We're so happy you're here to share the Dharma and practice today. Today I wanted to um, bring some of the teachings um, from the dedicated practitioner program that I've been in for a few years. And um, one of the teachers there is Stephen Armstrong. I don't know if any of you have sat with him or heard his talks. And he gave a teaching on um, the five spiritual faculties. I was going to do something else the seven faculties of awakening, but changed my mind. So, see what happens with this. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that today. And so when we say faculties, technology calls us. Beats us over the head sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I didn't see that video camera over there. <laughs> Doesn't exist. <laughs> it's an illusion. <laughs> All right. So um, when we say faculties, we mean these qualities that if we cultivate them and we're aware, aware of them, they're like a vehicle that takes us along the path and brings us towards the potential for enlightenment. So by um, contemplating and looking into, looking deeply into these qualities uh, can help us move along the path. And uh, the Buddha described these qualities um, and compared it to like a team of horses. I think of a stagecoach with all those horses, five horses. And um, if the one in the center pulls the the ones on the, the two on each side. And um, if they're not lined up and balanced and working together, the stagecoach is going to fall over. And it's just like our practice. There needs to be that balance. So mindfulness would be the center horse, the horse in the center. Yeah, Makes sense. And then um, the other qualities, or horses, um, would be faith, energy, uh, concentration and wisdom. So we'll, we'll compare, and they each work together and interlock, and one quality arouses the other. So when we say faith, um, we're talking about um, the confidence in the practice and um, clarifying what our spiritual objective is, supporting our aspirations. So we need that faith to get here in the morning to sit for 30 minutes, right? Wake up in the morning, listen to the Dharma talk, not scratch an itch when you want to, right? Um, we need that faith as a basis. 
And energy is the um, preserving quality. It's that part of us that doesn't give up, that um, sustains the practice. Right? When you want to sleep in, you don't want to wake up to meditate. It's that energy that gets you out of bed and on the cushion. Um, so we need that energy and faith to get to the mindfulness. And really, um, today we want to talk about mindfulness as simply remembering. Remembering to be present in the moment. Um, landing in the moment with awareness. And for us, for me, for uh, students on the path, remembering is a big deal, especially in a very busy, active, crazy, crazy life that we all lead. We're not on retreat. We're not in a cave or in a forest. And there's a lot coming at us all at once. And so this remembering to drop in, pause, pause again, be present, is so critical for the path. And day to day, um, cultivating this quality to remember is crucial. And admittedly, a lot of us are in a lot of forgetting, right? There's a lot of forgetting, myself included. So um, we really come to spiritual friendship and sangha, community and friends, to help us remember to help us remember more and more. So along with uh, mindfulness and remembering comes concentration. That ability to pause, investigate what's happening, be aware in the moment, and then to sustain that concentration, right? To stay with something so that the mind unifies, calms, and stills and really hovers and grasps the object. Not grasp, but holds that object. And with the concentration comes wisdom, knowing deeply what's really happening and knowing the truth of the way things are. So these are the five faculties, and they balance each other. Faith without wisdom is blind faith. And we all know what blind faith leads us to. It's a very dark alleyway, yeah? Um, and concentration, you can't have it without some energy behind it. You need the energy to sustain. So, um, so all of these factors work together and feed and, and build. So let's talk about um, the factors a little bit in more detail. I'm actually embracing technology today, if you can. It's a big deal. <laughs> old school, very old school. Um, so, um, how do we come into faith? And all of you wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't have it, right? For some of us, the first time we heard a Dharma talk and it ringed true, there was some deep truth that we grabbed into and held on that inspired faith to want to practice. Um, just sensing into the truth of the way things are inspires faith. I remember um, the first Dharma talk I ever heard in Buddhism. Um, a dear friend of mine had uh, passed away. 
um, she was a, a spiritual friend. We practiced for many years together. And um, the talk was about um, Siddhartha uh, Buddha, who was then Siddhartha, leaving the gate of the palace. And the story goes, right? And um, seeing for the first time, embracing these heavenly messengers of old age, sickness, and death. And the first Dharma talk about impermanence and suffering, no self, I mean, that rung so true for me in that moment, in that experience, um, that it aroused this faith to practice, to learn more, and to study. And so for all of you, something touched on the truth. And um, we all love the truth the truth of the way things are. We, it's a healthy craving in a way. And it brings us to put some energy into our practice, right? We want to, we, we bring that energy. We want to learn more. We want to grab on and do more. Um, another moment of faith for me was um, the metta practice, going to a retreat for the first time and learning the practice of loving-kindness, of generating loving-kindness, repeating the phrases towards self and others, towards all beings. And uh, I had some doubt in there about this practice. You know, oh, repeating phrases, feeling like, you know, I'm not sure. But day after day after day, sitting in retreat, um, churning with care and compassion towards this judgmental, Self, the self that judges harshly, my own self, and feeling that compassion and love really aroused faith um, in the depth of the practice, faith in um, the capacity to land in mindfulness right, and open the heart, these heart practices, whether inwardly or outwardly. So um, with energy... <clears throat> I hear some energy. <laughs> when we're arousing energy, and faith arouses the energy, right? Um, then we get to act on stuff, right? We get to act on what, what our intention is. Instead of just sitting there and thinking about it, oh, I should go to that sit, I should wake up to meditate, right? Um, the energy gets us there, gets us on the cushion. And it gets us to get on the journey, on the path. Um, and it helps us stay when things get difficult. Um, and things will get difficult. And it's not an easy path. So um, we need the energy in the mind to persevere, right? To get into the mindfulness. Because a lot of times with mindfulness on and off the cushion, we're sitting with things as they are, and they could be quite unpleasant and difficult. So it's the energy that helps us see it through. That it's when we don't get up off the cushion, we sit through the difficulty, or we're sitting through the difficulty off the cushion. Um, we need that, that fuel, that fire in the belly. Right? So what's the fire in the belly? What is it? It's the spiritual urgency, right? It's the thing that wakes you up and says, wait a minute, life is time limited here. And
and uh, I need to put some time into my practice, into the path. So for some of you, it might have been, um, like for me, this friend passing away, the spiritual friend that I was felt so close to. Um, that's a wake-up <coughs> call. Yeah? Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's illness. Sometimes it's just plain old disappointment. But it creates a fire in the belly, this urgency. And that urgency turns into an energy to get here and to do it. You know, that like Nike, just do it. And what are we doing? What's happening here? We come back to mindfulness, the horse in the center, right? And um, just landing in your day, in the moment, as things are. In that busy, crazy day. Did anybody have a busy, crazy day this week? You did, right? Isn't it amazing when you're in the middle of 10 million things? Maybe some of them are not going well. They're not going your way. Um, And there's more on your to-do list than the page is not long enough for the list. People have lists like that. There's always one more thing, and then one more thing, and another thing. Isn't it amazing when the mind just stops and drops and lets go, that arrives into now, whatever (coughs) is happening now? I think that's like miraculous to me. I really do. That's big. I don't know what's bigger, really. That moment-to-moment awareness of where we are right now in this moment. Um, whether it's feeling into the body, the felt sense of the body, stress in the body, or just the stream thought of the mind, or stopping in a strong emotion. Anybody ever just stop in that strong It's tough sometimes, an emotion like anger, or fear, or anxiety, just to be there, present with it, right here, right now, with it. So remembering to remember in the midst of something difficult or something pleasurable. So for all of us, we're planting the seed. We don't remember a lot of the time, but every time we do, we're building this capacity. It's like exercise, this muscle of the mind. And as we um, remember, we cultivate the intention to remember, right? We're getting in there. So, um, yesterday, thinking of an example of this, um, I was aware of not wanting to talk to my husband about something difficult. Anybody have that feeling? You want to avoid a difficult conversation? I think I've been doing that all my life. (laughs) And um, the mindfulness was sort of, I was like, ah, I really don't want to have this conversation. It's unpleasant. And it has some emotions, some strong emotion. And um, just dropping in to the I don't want to, I don't want to have it, and then feeling the emotion, feeling the resistance, and calming down, quieting down, and having the talk, 
the dialogue uh, with my husband. And he admitted, no, I don't want to have this talk either, and I don't want to feel this emotion. It was just a difficult subject. And um, I noticed that as we landed on the difficulty and could describe it and be with it, there was a kind of stillness and calm between us in the room. This ease kind of crept in as we slowly unpacked the difficulty and we embraced the fear and this unknown um, and the wanting to avoid. And we both kind of commented on how still and quiet it felt and that, that this ease was coming and this relaxation. So this is an example of mindfulness feeds concentration, right? When you can land on something and stay with it, even when it's difficult and you don't drop off, whether it's on the cushion or in relationship or in life, you're collecting and gathering the mind. And when we collect and gather, we sustain on that object. So for us, it was um, talking about something that invoked fear and uncertainty. And as we stayed with it, and we collected ourselves and around it, we, we dropped the resistance, we explored it fully, this ease and this intimacy arose. Right? This, this really sense of knowing the way things are, of being with it exactly as it was, even if we didn't like it. So there's this intimacy there. And with that intimacy, knowing it deeply. And we cultivate that with both the mindfulness and the concentration, this natural intimacy with ourselves, with life, with others, arises, in, and I know you have experienced this, right? Um, and with that comes the cultivation of wisdom. Right? That's where wisdom comes in, knowing the way things are. So, um, so gathering that mind Right? Gathering the mind. And you've all had that experience, yeah? Of just being present with one thing and staying with it and noticing the calm, the ease, and the depth of knowing. Yeah? I love that example that we do in the mindfulness classes all the time of just everybody gets one raisin, right? And that's their first mindfulness exercise Casey's taught MBSR lots of times. And no matter how many times you do that exercise, it's always amazing how rich one raisin is in your mouth, right, when you're paying attention. So um, that intimacy, I'm thinking of another example of a friend of mine um, who uh, she loves to go to this um, music thing uh, for the weekend that they have in the desert. What's the name of it? Burning Chandler. One of those, right? <laughs> <Chandler>. <laughs> 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 
And uh, this year she couldn't go. She's having a baby, and it, she's, you know, in her last trimester, she couldn't go. But her partner could go. And um, with her generous spirit, oh, just go, dear, you know. <laughs> and then the weekend came, you know. And um, there were lots of strong feelings about uh, resentment, abandonment, I feel alone, I'm vulnerable, all the things that you would naturally, that would naturally happen. And um, she said the difference for her was that she met each of these emotions with mindfulness, with awareness, and with absolute compassion. So that um, the intimacy with what was there and what was arising for her and who she was, was there. So it turned into a weekend that was sad and maybe a little painful, but present, aware, rich, alive, filled with truth. And I think for those of us who are um, beginning on the path of mindfulness and concentration, um, we don't have to talk about wisdom, we'll talk about that for in a moment. The piece where the mindfulness meets compassion is exquisitely important and can't be emphasized enough, right? So it's not just that she met these strong emotions with um, mindfulness or concentration that was present, the compassion had to equally be there. And um, she um, had attended the, um, some compassion weekends and, and workshops, and she said just that moment where she could touch, you know, the things we talk about in here, she could embrace her heart and say, uh, it's really okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel vulnerable right now, or to feel loss, or abandonment, resentment, whatever is arising, to really know that this is okay, um, to, to kind of just say, I'm sorry, I care for you, I care for this being, right? And all beings feel, have feelings like this. And um, she added this sense of gratitude for herself gratitude that she um, could be with these early losses, these abandonment losses. It was stirring up um, the death of her father not too long ago. And so that gratitude, hey, I feel I'm grateful that I can be with this, that I've, I've survived a death. I've survived a loss of loved ones. Um, gratitude for her own being. And I think this subtle practice of blending mindfulness with self-compassion and compassion, not seeing the mind stream of judgment and harshness that we, we, um, we're, that's there sometimes that we project, right? Of really seeing the whole field and being present with the heart. Um, sustains all of these faculties as well. They, it shouldn't be excluded. It's not just mindfulness. It's mindfulness with um, heart practice and love. That's what fuels mindfulness. 
So with all of this, the wisdom arises, right? And when we have wisdom, we really get to know the way things are. Um, it again fuels energy. It starts it all over again. So let's say a couple of things about the wisdom practice, and then we'll we'll end there. Um, so if you have the mindfulness and the concentration on that difficult moment, the moment of difficulty, you get to see quite clearly that that moment and that difficulty is impermanent. It's going to come and go, right? It's not you. To me, that's still such a blessing, especially in the middle of a strong emotion. I actually had a strong emotion on the way here. Are you surprised? <laughs> right. I, was, um, I, I convinced myself that I needed another cup of coffee, and I, <laughs> I ran into Starbucks. Which in the morning, you know, is a lot of, if you look around at Starbucks in the morning, we're very convinced we need coffee. And a lot of it, right? We're all so jittery there. And um, so I'm walking out of Starbucks, and the coffee's spilling a little bit, so I'm focused on, as I step into the um, parking lot, on securing that lid and not stopping it, you know, right? get on my shirt, you know, that kind of thing. But when I stepped into the parking lot, this woman was pulling into the parking space fast. I don't know, she really needed that <laughs> And she, um, she missed me by very little. I, I could have been hit by a car this morning. It was, I don't think it would have been that bad, but who knows. But the first thing that occurred to me was um, this nasty anger just rose up in me and very you know I was almost hit by a car and I just glared at her like <laughs> how dare you you know um, and she she looked startled and she said um, oh my goodness I'm so terribly sorry I mean, it was very and she looked very upset um, as I would have been and any of us would have been but I thought about um, we're talking about the wisdom piece that comes up. Those, that moment where you take something so personally, right? She could have hit me, right? And I am so angry with you. And you see the road rage that people walk around with, right? And this, they get so angry. And I felt that anger. And then I guess some of it might be coming here to give a talk, right? But, but um, that moment of uh, this isn't, a me and a car and her, right, on some level. I'm glad I'm not hit by a car in, in a hospital, but it's a lot of causes and conditions coming together, right? I could have been the person in the car not paying attention, and I wasn't paying attention, and we all have this belief we need coffee now, you know? And so you see a lot of conditions arising to create something. The ability to just let go and turn to her and say, it's okay, right? You know, of not getting so worked up, clinging, getting reactive, um, losing calm and ease. So we get to see um, how these conditions play out in our lives and get us snagged, get us caught in things, yeah? Um, whether we feel that something... Um, Impermanent is going to be permanent, right? 
or that we shouldn't have a kind of suffering. I shouldn't step down in the curve and have a car nearly come at me, right? I shouldn't. I shouldn't really, but I shouldn't, you know, um, the sufferings of our life or the sense of self that we construct and then believe in um, that gets us, that snags us. So this all begins with the wisdom piece to soften a little bit. I was listening to a talk by Ajahn Sachito, and he was talking about this um, free-floating anxiety that he's experienced in his life, um, sometimes bordering on more panicky. And he was um, using the mindfulness to investigate the felt sense of anxiety in the body, something I'm sure we all experience, right, regularly. Um, life is very uncertain and it's stressful. And he said that he was just feeling it in the body and watching his mind dart into the future and wanting it to turn out wanting it. And then he realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm looking for security again in a world that can't really give it to me. The, the big truth, the big wisdom is I can't get the security that I crave. You know? And um, so that was his mindfulness, right? Sustaining his attention and then kind of seeing the truth that there was a part of him craving an answer or a secure answer or solidity in a life that doesn't always give that to us. So, so I'll end with a quote. I think we need um, to hold this very tenderly. It's one thing I want to say about the balance between energy and concentration is um, you know, I sometimes, you see the stagecoach and the horses and the guy's driving and he's got a whip, right, going to make them go faster, go faster. Have you seen that in those Western movies? <laughs> yeah. um, we don't need that whip, right? We don't need to push. We don't need to muscle mindfulness or, you know, bring this commas, you know, this big energy in, right, to force ourselves on this path. That's not going to work. That wouldn't be skillful at all. It really is more arriving, remembering, allowing, noticing. This has to have a gentle, steady flow and a gentle quality um, to the practice. No, as we say, put away the whip, right? Put away the pushing or the needing or the wanting. Did you ever wake up and try to be mindful? I've done that, where I feel like a robot. Now I will have toast mindfully. I will walk mindfully. I will think mindfully. It could feel like a straitjacket. It's so unpleasant, right? See, we don't need to do that. So with ease, with gentleness, with a, a really good sense of humor, right? I have mindfully spilled coffee down the front of a white shirt, <laughs> mindfully left the keys in the laundry basket, many other mindful, wonderful moments, right? 
So Chogin Trumpa said, enlightenment is an accident and practice makes us more accident prone. <laughs> That's why we come here, right? Um, and a Zen master, one instant is eternity. Eternity is now. When you see through this one instant, you see through the one who sees. So we'll end on that note, maybe just closing your eyes a moment. I'll read that quote again. So this one instant, this now, is eternity. Just right here, just now. And eternity is right now in us, as us. And when we're with, when you see through this one instant, this one moment, you see through the one who sees. the ground for wisdom. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.